Well, today we're going to continue our conversation about questions, doing this series that we've been talking about uh, for the past few weeks that Pastor Mark led us in the first two weeks, and um, I'm going to be doing this one today. Uh, The question today is from Luke chapter 10, so if you want to turn to your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 10, verse 29, and the question is, and who is my neighbor? And this was a question asked by a law expert, and we'll get to that here in a second. Now, when I was a kid, I was like five years old. I was probably six, somewhere in that range. But we rented a house, and so we had this brick house that we rented, and there was a driveway, and then there was a, another brick home. And so I had what was called a, a big wheel. Ever, ever have one of those when you were a kid? And, and you like that because, and then I found out about sound and how sound travels and echoes. So I would go and, and ride that in that, you know, corridor between those two houses. And it sounded really, really cool. It sounded like a motorcycle almost when you got it really going. Well, unfortunately, my experience with neighbors was that the neighbor said, hey, that's too much noise. <laughs> and so my mom had to cut the little plastic things that made the clicking sound. And my big wheel was not the same. <laughs> If I'm a little bitter about it, maybe I need to forgive my neighbor for that. (laughs) I don't know. But I just want to highlight that when we're talking about neighbors here, and this is what we're going to get to, is that a neighbor doesn't mean that they live next door to you. It's not just somebody that lives right beside you. It's not your neighbors that are in a certain area. And we'll talk more about that here as we continue on with our discussion. But let's go back and look at verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. It says this, On one occasion there was an expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's really interesting that uh, a few weeks back, if you remember about a month ago, I preached a message about the, the uh, rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked that same question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's really interesting that more of us are concerned about the, you know, the guarantee of life after. We want to escape death in any way possible, but we're not willing to do the things that are required to receive eternal life. And that's what this person is doing too. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to him and says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So Jesus is throwing some questions back to him. And this is what's so encouraging to me as a believer, that we don't believe in a God that forces us to just accept a certain statement or do certain things, that there's a conversation that goes on and there's questions being asked. And God wants us to grow in our understanding of him. It's not just some uh, spiel or some message that we need to memorize. We need to have a continual relationship with God. And there's this continual walk and and path towards God that we just want to strive for instead of just taking in and knowing certain facts. That's not what we're about. We're about growing in our relationship with God because he is a person. And there's a personhood of God that we want to get to know. And it says, so he's replying back to him and say, what is it written in the law and how do you read it? Well, I think of the interesting thing about this and the statement that I want to highlight in that passage I just read is that his job, this expert in the law, was wanting to test Jesus, wanting to put Jesus to the test. In other words, he wasn't really wanting the right answer. He wasn't coming to Jesus for understanding. He didn't really want to know the answer to the question. He was wanting to test Jesus and see what Jesus' response was. And if he'd be accepted, he's coming at a judgmental attitude already by wanting to test what Jesus will do and how he'll react to the question. And it makes me think about how we come to Jesus. 
Are we coming to get Jesus with our questions? And are we wanting to gain knowledge and understanding? Are we wanting to grow? Are we wanting to put Jesus to the test? Are we wanting to test Jesus with our own way of wanting to think or the way we want to operate? And we're saying, okay, God, if you're real, then I'm going to do this and see what happens. Or I'm going to ask you these tough questions and see how you respond. See, it kind of has a different tone, doesn't it? When we have an anger or, a, or an attitude towards God, like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. It's like your kids, you know. That, that Sometimes your kids can really test you and ask all kinds of questions. And you can see that. You can see that when it's the right kind of question that's wanting to learn and grow. And there's a question that kind of just is a condescending question. And it's like, hey, I'm putting you to the test and see how you're going to operate with this. I'm sure a lot of teachers get these kind of questions too, right? They're wanting to test you to see what you're going to do about it. Well, that's the heart of this law expert. And I truly believe it's the heart of all of us that sometimes we want to test God instead of really learn and grow. We're not really in the, ad- or the heart or the attitude of wanting to grow in Christ. We're wanting to judge Christ. We're wanting to judge Jesus. So continuing on to this passage, we're going to look at verse 27. And so this law expert responds to Jesus, and he does a good job of responding. He says, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting that this law expert is saying the very things that Jesus has already been saying, and it will continue to say, that these are the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' response to this is, Jesus said, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. But the problem with that statement is this, that none of us have followed it. No human being has followed this to the T. In other words, I can claim I've loved God all my life, but I know in my heart there's been times that I've disobeyed God. There's been times that I've broken free from God and said, God, I don't really love you. I don't really care about you. I'm going to go do my own thing. I want to do what I want to do. I I say I'm going to love you, but I don't really love you, right? We've broken away from God. We've done things that we know that God would not want us to do, and we've dishonored him. So many times I have, and I know it, and I know for a fact I haven't loved my neighbor like I should. I haven't really honored those around me. I haven't really cared for those that are in my life. I haven't really shown the love that I should for others around me. And see, this is the problem for this law expert because he's hearing Jesus say this, do this and you will live. Now he recognizes the problem. Well, I haven't been able to live up to this. I haven't been able to myself love God fully and especially I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. In verse 29, But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that's the interesting thing is that justifying. And isn't that the way we come across a lot of times? It's not wanting to do the right things in life. We just want to be right. It's not living our life in such a way that does good things. It's not learning and growing to become better for Christ It's we want to be right. We want to be in the right. We want to be justified. We want to say, hey, we're doing a good job. Hey, we're doing all right. 
And this is the heart of this man is he's saying, hey, I, I don't, I don't want to hear what you have to say, Jesus. I just want to know I'm in the right. And this is the way we come across to God many times in our own lives. We just want to be on the right. God, why doesn't it work out for me? I want to do this, and I want it to work out just the way I want it instead of being open to what God has for us and what God says. See, so much of it about, about life is about us, isn't it? It's not really about God. It's not really about others. It's really about self. And self gets in the way so many times. And we try to want to be on the right side of things. And we care about winning. And we want to win an argument. Have you had, you know, all of us have had kids. Most of us have had kids and go through that time where they're like, they're argumentative. And they don't want to, they don't want to admit to anything. And they constantly want to justify, well, I did that because of this, or I did that because of that, and that's kind of where we go to. So the, this law expert's trying to say, hey, I'm, I'm good. You know, who is my neighbor? Like, he didn't know. Like, he doesn't know who a neighbor is. But like so many of us, we have that excuse, but Jesus is going to demonstrate and show us who our neighbor is. So there's no confusion. And he's going to do it through a story, a parable. And so the scripture here in verse 30, it says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And let's just take a moment and pause there. Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem's above sea level, and, and Jericho's below sea level. And there's about 45 miles between the two cities, okay? So it, it's kind of like, have you ever been like the snowshoe or some, some mountaintop, and you got to go up, and then you got to go back, and you got to go up, and then you go like that? That's the kind of road we're talking here. Now, they were going downhill to Jericho, but it's still kind of twisty and windy type road to go up that mountain to go up that, or go up that hillside. So there was plenty of opportunities for them to be ambushed and robbers to lie in wait to take advantage of somebody that's a traveler coming through that area. So it's an interesting thought pattern to think about that. It says, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So here's the interesting thing, that this man was stripped of everything. Now think about that for a second. He didn't have anything that would identify him as being from a certain region or a certain people or a certain group or a certain religion. He was taken, everything was taken from him, and all was left is his humanity. All was left is this person that's beaten, probably can't be recognized, and left half dead. And I'm sure that this person, I don't know if he was conscious, we don't know that, or if he was conscious, maybe going in and out of consciousness, he knew he was about to die if he didn't receive the help that he needed. He was left for dead and probably beaten to the point where he wasn't even recognizable. So my point with this, and this is the thing that we need to keep in mind when we think about our neighbors, when we think about what Jesus is talking about, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not based on religion. It's not based on region. It's not based on reputation. It's not based on anything like that. There's no basis that we can say, this is my neighbor. In the context of all the things that we talk about in our societies or our cultures or anything like that. So many times we want to separate people and say, well, my neighbor is somebody from this state, or my, my neighbor's a Steeler fan, right? Those are my neighbors. Those are my boys, right? Well, whatever it is, that's not your neighbor. That's not what Jesus is talking about. 
There's a greater thing of humanity that God loves everybody. When it comes to religion, we're not just called to help and be there to support our neighbors that are Christians. We're called to be light and salt to the whole world, no matter what religion, because that might be a door of opportunity for us to show Christ. So whatever it is, and going back to reputation, it doesn't matter what status this person had. We don't know if this person was rich or poor. There was no identification to tell you if this came from a noble family or a family stricken in poverty. We don't know. We don't know the answer to that. So that part didn't matter to anybody that came by. What a beautiful illustration of this is that this man is stripped from everything. All he's left with is his humanity. That he's a human being. And then now we have some people come by on the road. We have two individuals to start with. It says in verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by him on the other side. So too, in verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, the significance, as we know, and we probably have already thought about, that these would be people that should know what to do. They should be able to help this person out. They should know the scriptures. They should know to help their neighbor. They should love this person, right? But also, I think that we think that these people did nothing when they did do something. And that's what I want us to think about today is that there's, there's opportunities for us, and yet we, we do something, but it's not the right thing, Right? Because that person's right on our path. They're right in our way. They're right here. And how many people do we walk by and see that they have a need, and then we take and walk on the other side of the road, and we walk away from them, ignoring their need when they're right here. God has placed them right in our path. And we take, and we stop, and we walk, and we move on the other side of the road. See, they did do something. They took... More effort, well, not more effort, but just a little effort to go this direction to walk away than ministering to the person's needs. They did do something, and it was the wrong thing. But how many people have we passed by? How many people do we walk away from? How many people do we not take the opportunity? God's placed this person right in our path to minister to, to care for, to help, and we pass by them. See, if God's placed people in your life, God's given you a path to walk on. And wherever God leads you, whether you go, wherever you go to work, wherever you go about your business, God may put a person in your life for you to be your neighbor and to show love to and compassion for. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So we hear this story of the Samaritan. And what is a Samaritan? Most of us probably already know that and understand it, but just to remind us all, a Samaritan is somebody that's a half-breed. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile, so they were the outcasts. They were cast out of, of the city of Jerusalem, and people that were Jewish people disregarded them, judged them, cast them out of the city. They couldn't worship God. It was, we learn about the woman at the well, that they worshiped God on the mountainside because they weren't allowed into the city of Jerusalem because they were Samaritans. 
So they would worship God on their own. That's when Jesus says there won't be a time, there will be a time that there won't be worshiping on one mountain or worshiping in the city. The, the, the true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, we can worship God no matter where we are. We don't have to be in a particular place or a particular building. We can worship God where we're at. So this Samaritan took pity. And this is my thing I want to share is that he understood what the person was going through. He didn't know if this person was a Jew or a Gentile. He didn't know this person. He maybe couldn't even recognize who this person was, but he took pity. And see, the challenge is, is this, is the pity says this, it's the feeling of sorrow, compassion caused by the suffering and misfortune of others. And that makes me think about, do we take time to feel pity for others? Do we take time to think about others? See, while the other people were walking on the other side of the road, while the other people were, should have been here and ministering the person's need, they, they decided, hey, I'm getting out of here, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to walk my own path, and I'm going to stay on this side of the road. The Samaritan looked. Where the other people probably just kept their eyes focused on the road and like ignoring, they didn't look back. They didn't care. They just kept walking. Like, oh, well, okay. I don't have time for that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to keep going where the Samaritan looked and he saw this person as a person and he took pity on him. So in other words, he actually looked with his eyes and those eyes were the mirror to his mind and they, he looked inside himself and looked inside his heart and felt bad for the person that was left on the road. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the oil on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is what gets me to thinking about what a neighbor really is. And what a neighbor gives. And I think these words kind of echo that. And I'll kind of explain why I chose some of these words. But a neighbor gives certain things. And we see that play out in this story. That the first thing that this uh, Samaritan does for this person is he gives his time. We see a commitment of time take place. That there's time given. He doesn't just think about his own life and his own journey and kind of, I'm going to go about my business and I'm going to walk on this side of the road so I can get past this person that's dying and dead and, and you know, maybe I don't want to touch him because he is dead or all these excuses we give. But the Samaritan took time to minister to this person. He got off his donkey and he attended to his wounds. And then the word effort. Well, effort, and some of these words, we could kind of group them together, but I think it's interesting when we look at the definition of these words, effort is vigorous or determined attempt. It's going after it. It's not just walking by. It's taking an active role. It's a, a, a determination. It's an effort put into this, that they're going to take time and put the effort into it to bandage his wounds, to take care of his wounds, to pour the, uh, the wine or the alcohol so the infection would burn out, and then taking part of his clothes and ripping them to make uh, things to, to mend and, and wrap his, his wounds so he doesn't have to have those open wounds on his body. And then the word help. 
means to make it easier for someone, to, to make it possible for someone, to, to help him along. And you think about what he does is he takes him and he puts him on his own donkey. So this man, this good Samaritan, is not only taking the time and the effort, but he's actually helping him to support him, to, to give him help. Put him on his donkey. He has to walk the rest of the road himself till they get to this inn where he can be ministered to. And then support means this, to bear all or part of the weight, to hold up. And also can mean financial help, which we see displayed in this. See, to be a good neighbor, I almost feel like a State Farm commercial. Should be playing, Jake? <laughs> see, to be a good neighbor, though, is taking the time to care for somebody. And it's willing to make it. There is a cost to being a good neighbor. To love a neighbor as yourself is to, to care for them and help them, to love them, to show support. And it may cost you. It may cost you some things. But the rewards in that is, is tremendous. The rewards in that are amazing when you're helping somebody along the way, when you care for somebody. And it opens the door for them to know Jesus or know God. Verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 36 through 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The law expert, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The definition of mercy is this. Mercy, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. I don't think it was lost on this expert in the law that Jesus was referring to this Samaritan and that this Samaritan had every opportunity. If this was a Jewish person laying on the side of the road to just leave him dead because of the judgment, because they were dogs considered to the Jewish people, this Samaritan was an was a, a outcast that he had every right to say, nope, not going to help him out. I'm going to walk on this other side of the road and I'm going to be just like everybody else and I'm going I'm to do my thing. You see, the law expert realized that this Samaritan was shown mercy because if this was a Jewish person, this Samaritan that was supposed to be an outcast, supposed to be the one that was a dog, is showing great love and compassion to somebody. And just like I said, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is with his, its power of one's power to punish or harm, that the Samaritan had a right to punish or harm but instead, he's showing great mercy, great compassion, great love. Who is God putting in your path? Who is God placing in your life that you can show mercy to? See, the expert in law realized it wasn't the Levite. It wasn't the priest who do the right things, who say the right things, who live the right life, who act like they're holier than thou those weren't the right ones these weren't the right people that walked on the other side of the road but the right person the right heart the right attitude was this person that was a Samaritan who had compassion who bent down tended to his wounds ripped some of his clothes to bind up all those hurts and pains that he had 
lifted him up, placed him on his own donkey, guided his donkey through the rest of the road, through those turns, down that hillside, to a place where he could not only just leave it there, but take him to a place where he could find rest, stayed with him, and when he left, he told him, here's some coins to pay for whatever expense he might have, and when I'm back on my journey, when I come back, I'll take care of all the other costs. Just make sure he's well. Out of those three, the Levite, the priest, the Good Samaritan, which one was a neighbor? Who has God placed in your path? God wants you to show mercy and kindness to those around you. They may not deserve it. They may have done things that hurt your feelings or made you mad. Man, there's been so many teens I've had in my youth groups over the years. I'm like, um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's been people at work, I'm sure, you're like, oh, man. Uh. But that's an opportunity that you can show God's love, God's kindness, God's grace, God's mercy. Even if somebody disagrees with you, maybe you're on a different political aisle, maybe you live in a different country, maybe you don't believe the same things, but it's an opportunity for you to show God's love to somebody else. Who's God put in your path? And who are you walking towards and seeing and who are you walking away from? Because I know we've all been there. We've all been doing things that are leading people uh, either towards God or away from God. We've been either walking away from what God wants or walking towards God. You know, there's that, there's that choice, right, in our hearts and our lives. I'm even rather, either running towards God or I'm running away from God. And that's the question for all of us. As we close this message, I just want to encourage you and challenge you that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that he came to die for you. And I truly believe that if you're the only person on this earth that Jesus would have still loved you enough to die for you, that you're valuable to him, that he laid down his life and he took the sin that, that all of us, we've all disobeyed God, we've all come short, and that's what sin is. It's missing the target. The target was to live those commandments, to do those things, to, to love God, to, to love our neighbor, but we've all come short of that. We haven't fulfilled that to the T, Right? But Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you in that state. I'm not going to just let that be the only option for you. I'm going to lay down my life so you don't have to do that, so that you can put your trust in me, because I can live up to that. I can love God always, and I can love my neighbor as myself. And he demonstrated that, that love for us by laying down his life. When he died up on the cross, he was the good Samaritan, because he showed mercy to us, and he saved us by faith. You can accept Christ today. And all it does is taking a humbleness, a heart of attitude that you're open to receive Christ in your life and say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I need you. And I believe you died for my sins. And I want to live my life for you now. By saying a prayer like that with faith, Jesus, like that confession, will save you. 
And you will have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to give you the boldness and the direction to move forward. And as you read your word, as you get together with other believers and you grow in your faith, you're going to continue to be a light in this world for him. For us Christians, too often times the world does not see this example. We're not really loving our neighbor. We're not really caring for people. We're not really showing them the way. We're too interested in our own things and our selfish desires and our own, we have our own excuses. You know, I'm too busy. I got this going on. I got that going on. I give those same same excuses. You know, I had a funeral this week. I had upward this week. I had this and, you know, and, and we can come up with all kinds of excuses, but if somebody's in need and God puts them in our path, aren't we supposed to help them and really be a neighbor to them and show compassion and love? I'm not saying we're perfect at it, but that's what we strive for, is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for everything you do. I ask that you guide and direct us, Lord, and help us to continue to let our light shine for you. We thank you and praise you for the baptism that happened today. Lord, I thank you for each time we see that, because that's a representation of what you did for us by dying and living again. It's also, of course, the representation of us letting our lives die out in the water and raising back up as a demonstration, as a witness, an outward witness of what's happened in our hearts, that you've changed us and you've saved us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as neighbors, that we'd love our neighbors, that whoever you put in our path, whoever we are with or around that needs that love, that needs that support, that needs the effort and the time given, that we'd be willing to do that that we'd be willing to care for them and help us not to be so selfish that we walk on the other side of the road, but we accept what you have in front of us and we minister to those in need. Thank you for everything you do and thank you for this church and for the people that are here because I think we strive to do that on most days, but there are times where we are weak and, and we need your strength, we need your grace, and we need your help with us to make sure that we don't walk on the other side of the road, but we see that person and we look at them and we take pity and we help them in their darkest hour. Be with us and give us strength today, Lord, and thank you for loving us and giving us this opportunity today to worship your name. In your name, Jesus, amen.